another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. And you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook at Justin Bizarro. You can find Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs on Facebook and Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. And then you can find our new podcast, the Centurion Leadership Battalion, at this at Centurion Leadership Battalion on Instagram and Facebook as well. And you can find that podcast on iTunes as well as Spotify and Podbean right now. We are still waiting on Google to approve that podcast. So that also being said, thank you everyone who's reaching out about the summit. Um, In the current state of the world, we're still not sure what we're going to do, but we do know that we are still going to do a live event, even if we have to stream it into people's homes. So continue to look on Eventbrite. You can look up the Food and Beverage Entrepreneur Summit in Milledgeville, Georgia. You can get your free tickets there. Um, and if you have a free ticket, even if we cancel the event in person, we will be streaming it through Facebook and YouTube into your homes um, to you guys, uh, the motivational speakers, um, on in the mornings from 8 o'clock to noon. So that is what we're planning on doing so we can still do some sort of event, even if we're still sort of in this quarantine um, dilemma, as I'll call it. So thank you, everyone, for listening in. All the questions and support, I know a lot of people are listening to the podcast right now based on being in quarantine. Our numbers are almost double of what they normally are, so that's kind of cool, I guess, uh, an upside to everything going on. And anyone who's listening in, I hope you're listening in to gain skills to better your business when we get out of this quarantine thing, because we all need to work together to sort of shoot out of this thing like a rocket um, when it's all done, because we're all going to need to participate in rebuilding the economy rebuilding our businesses, producing jobs, um, so on and so forth, helping the farmers. So I think that's really important. So um, that also being said, um, again, just please continue to listen to the podcast, share the podcast with your friends and family. You like an episode or you think someone wants to be an entrepreneur in the food space, please share what's going on. These people have great stories. So thank you, everyone. Uh, today, I have with us Justin Fox and Valerie Culpit from Birch Mountain Barbecue. How are you guys doing today? Great. We're doing all right, Justin. How about you? I'm doing very well. I mean, obviously, it could be better, but, um, you know, with the current circumstances and everything, extra time with the family, um, extra time to appreciate all of our employees, um, it's pretty cool, you know, so... Um, we do a lot of hospital food and long-term care homes across the country. It's one of our businesses and those people are still going to work every day and still hustling. So it's, you know, really humility. I'm being led by them right now. It's kind of crazy how dedicated and strong, um, some of those employees are. It's pretty incredible. So I'm doing well. How about, so Tell us about you guys. Tell us about your story a little bit, how you got to where you are, and, and exactly what is Birch Mountain Barbecue. Well, I'm going to hand it to Justin to kind of give you the start of what happened here in the Pacific Northwest for barbecue for us. We're both transplants, so I was raised in Louisiana. Justin was raised in Oklahoma, and we moved up here about five years ago. So I'm going to kind of hand it over to him about how we decided to do this. <laughs> when we got here, um, you know, there was a 
there really wasn't um, decent barbecue here, and we kind of just thought we would um, kind of introduce to what we grew up with, you know, um, <clears throat> coworkers or what we both work in healthcare, and um, it's it always seemed like somebody would be like, hey. Uh, we're having a potluck. Can you bring this? Can you bring that? We would bring our food and people were like, Oh, this is really good. I've never had anything like this. And then, um, it kind of grew from there. Um, you end up, you know, having somebody's food you haven't had before. And I think it's just a difference in cultures, you know, um, you have had some, something you haven't had before and you're like, Oh, this is really great. And then it kind of grew from there where somebody was like, Hey, can you fix this for my, my family's having to get together this weekend. Can you fix this for us? You know, that thing you brought to the potluck. And then it just kind of grew from there. And then I was like, well, you know, I've, I've cooked for like, you know, 20 years in my backyard or whatever. And then it just kind of manifested into, Hey, you should like do a food truck or something. And one, I think one of the doctors I worked with, actually mentioned that and i was like no nah, i don't want to do a food truck i was like there's taco trucks here you know and it's just kind of this town is um this valley we live in is is concentrated with uh it's a it's a fruit valley it's concentrated with um apples and and cherries and and vineyards so there's a high concentration of um immigration workers and um hispanics and it's just, um, there's always taco trucks here. And, um, anyway, by proxy. So that's how we were just like, well, we don't want to do a taco truck. We don't want to be a taco truck. So we ended up bringing our wood fire barbecue to the, uh, equation. We, uh, lived in an apartment when we first moved up here, Justin, um, you know, relocating in healthcare. That's why we came here. And um, we lived in the apartment, and Justin would cook on a little kettle smoker type thing out in the in the, in the alley. Like a little R two D two for us, and um, that grew into a little bit bigger unit in the backyard of the apartment. Us, like an offset stick burner. And then that grew when we finally bought a home here. It was the spring of 2018, and he said, "Hey, there's this." Uh, smoker I want to get this this spring and start kind of cooking in bulk and just cook for friends and family and see where it goes and that was cafe smoker right yeah yeah so I don't know how what capacity it is they'll have to tell you but that became a thing like people wanted to order food for their family functions and by the winter of or the fall of 2018 that's when the mobile unit came into the picture. Yeah. Um, he'll have to tell you more about it. It's a lot bigger, more capacity. And he's like, Hey, this is taking off. Uh, let's go ahead and get in, you know, make this a business, make it a thing. So, well, let me yeah. pause there because I didn't introduce the city. It's Wenatchee, Washington. Is that correct? Right. And yeah. so Wenatchee. this is the Valley, the fruit Valley you're talking about in Washington. And so, I mean, just to, because I want to reiterate the importance of this. So you just decided you were basically following a passion. You started cooking barbecue and then cooking, cooking in an alleyway. 
and then from there you sort of went into um, deciding to like cook for people for events because they were asking about it. And then you're you're making a leap more into the mobile kitchen. Um, and so, I mean, I guess tell me what happened after you started doing all these catering events. Yeah, so when we first started in the fall of 2018, I just went on the states like a lot of people do, got our license, and said, okay, LLC sounds good. I'm an RN just as a surgical technician. I'm going to let you know medicine is my thing, and business is not. So I'm at Starbucks making up all this, you know, oh, yeah, okay, i got to get this, and i got to get this, and then, you know, Justin just wanted to cook the meat. You know, I just want to cook the meat. And I'm like, all right, so let me let me figure this out. So I spent many hours. I'm like, oh, wait, now I have to have six books. Oh, but now I have to have this. Oh, that, then there's the health department, and there's the menu review. So all of that was going down in the fall of 2018 before we ever started catering. And uh, we purchased uh, the, the unit, which is like a 16-foot mobile grilling unit with a smoker and, you know, burner capacity that basically we can take it to pop-ups and, and also to parties to cater. So all of that's happening at the same time in the fall of 2018. And we were booking a couple of things for the beginning of 2019. And the, the grill was still being made in California, the custom grill down there. Um, so we were nervous because, the grill wasn't here yet, and we had two events booked, and it was it was really stressful at that time. The seller who was making it, you know, I said, you do know California is below us, and there's a lot of mountain passes that you've got to, to, to go through to get that here. Are you going to be able to do that? So I guess if that answers your question, we really weren't catering when we first got our license, but we started in the beginning of 2019 with a couple we did um a private party for uh, uh, a housewoman and we got called by our very first bride which we never wanted to do wedding uh, i didn't even want to do side dishes in the beginning i was just like let's just sell meat um so so we got a call from a bride the beginning of 2019 she said my caterer just backed out on me because the venue I chose does not have a full kitchen, and she didn't know that. And I've got prime rib, um, scalloped potatoes, green salad was her menu, but her wedding's three weeks away, and she said, can you guys do it? I was like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) So that's how catering started, I guess. (laughs) Well, and I think it's so important because one of the things that basically the way you started doing your business was taking the hard road. Like, that's a hard path, like, to prepare an event that last minute. But, you know, one of the things is you were starting, so it didn't matter to you guys. Number two is, I I guess I'm curious, how did you figure out how to do it? Let's take that particular event. It's like a a wedding. Um, There's not much time to plan it. Their current caterer is backed out. How did you guys sort of go about accomplishing this massive task as a new business? You can find a lot of information on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) I I love that answer. Between (laughs) Pinterest and the internet and how many, how much protein and thought feeds 150 people, you know, between, between just Googling. And and I think probably one of the best things that Justin and I did, we didn't know it at the time. And most of this is like that. We don't know things when we do it. But when you look back, I'm really glad we did that because 
we went to the venue that she oh. has a wedding at, and it is a it, bar. It's so vital to just show yeah. up early and take a look around and see what what your facilities look like. And uh, I don't know. Just, so let's go see what we're getting into. Yeah. And it was an old barn. I don't know. It's was it what was the year on that barn? It's the nineteen. It's a nineteen thirty style dairy barn that they've converted into this. It's a historic landmark that they've converted into this uh, wedding venue. And we go out there. It's in a part of our uh, central, north central Washington, probably about a 30, 40 minute drive from us. But it's more in the mountain area. So we're talking like a 10, sometimes 15 degree drop in temperature. It's February. It was a pretty bad winter even for us here in the valley. But now we're going up in elevation. So... This bar and the only way for the caterers and the the food vendors to get to the reception area is up these ramps. I don't know. There's like five switchbacks up this ramp. Yeah. <laughs> to the back of this door. It's three. It's three. Three or four stories, but it's five five solid flights of of switchback ramps. Jesus. So we. We meet the owner, right? And his name is Patrick. Patrick. I just love him, Patrick Olson. Retired college football coach. And it's, I'll go ahead and throw them a, a, a line, too. It's a, a Pine, Pine, Pine River Ranch, Pine River Ranch in, in, in Leavenworth, Washington. And they're just the sweetest people. You know, when we first met him, we were scared to death of him because uh, Justin had heard that he was real strict with his with the, who he allows out there. So we get out there, we're looking at it, and you know, we're like, okay, well, we can do this. And, you know, we met him, and he let us know where we'd be able to park. And, you know, we're real nervous because we never – we didn't, I don't think we told him that, but we'd never done anything like this before. Yeah. And we're like, can we get here at, like, 7 o'clock in the morning? He's like, why do you need to be here at 7 o'clock in the morning? I'm like, well, no. <laughs> uh, and sure enough, that morning when we got ready to go to the – to the venue, we were shoveling out our driveway. It was about, they probably got two foot of snow up there, and um, the bride's been messaging me like all week, is it snowing? I went, oh my gosh. <laughs> but how we prepared for the event was, you know, we, we didn't know what to do. We just Googled, we researched, we read, we met the venue owner. Um, you know, I constantly was talking with the bride every day, and um you know, we have a commercial kitchen that we use a space out in um, about, I don't know, 15-minute drive from here. We were reaching out to him, hey, we're going to need to be there at this block of time. And, yeah, it was just kind of like learned by fire, I guess. I would say that if you guys made it through that and still decided you wanted to do catering, um, you actually made it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was actually pretty inspirational. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. It was like, hey, if we made it through this, I think we can do it. I mean, I, you know, all the chasing pans and the things that we just hurried up and bought and came across, and I bought into Hobby Lobby. I had them there. Hey, we need to get these little stands, and we need to get this little, you know, uh, lamps. And when we set our stuff up there, his the venue's wife took pictures of our setup, and she said. Nobody really brings this kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, they just put their food out. I'm like, oh, okay. We actually decorated our tables because I didn't know any better. <laughs> yeah, it probably set a higher standard. I, th- I think that's an incredible story. It's almost like you went through like hell week of catering in one day. The snow, the 
the event, the last minute planning. Um, I love that you wanted to be there first thing in the morning because I got to tell you, um, I mentor a lot of people and I talk to a lot of people in in the food and beverage world and um, and people don't realize the importance of being there early and getting a lay of the land if you're in a catering business or in any business for that matter, showing up 15 minutes too early to a meeting just to get the lay of the land and calm yourself Um, because it can make things go so much smoother. You can solve problems quicker. You can understand your environment much better. So I think that that's so cool that you guys were willing to do that. And then obviously the snow, I mean, did you have to shovel your way to the event? I mean, you talked about shoveling out your driveway. and um, We had to follow a snowplow on the way <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, luckily the venue owner actually had plowed out a spot for us, and he told us that morning he got us all plowed out to get in there. But, yeah, Justin went before me. I was, I believe I was doing potatoes. I think I was cooking potatoes. <laughs> Well, in the commercial kitchen when he was setting up the grill, but it was, I had a Camry back then, and um, it was pretty interesting. <laughs> I'll tell you, we had a couple friends help us out with that one, too. I won't forget them either. Justin had a coworker, and I did, too, that helped. He, he helped bring some stuff up in his, his minivan, and I don't know. It was, it was insane, but, yeah, it was um, to look back and then to look now. But getting there early is important, and Justin has a motto. I'll let him tell you what it is, and he tells me it even today. If you're on time, you're late. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's his motto. So he's better at being early than I am, that's for sure. Yeah, I have a business partner uh, now that was a long time spent. Um, he's been a mentor of mine also for many years. Um and uh, one of the things he said is the key to being on time is being early. So you know you're you're late if you're on time. You're and if if you're early, you're you're on time. You know. Yeah. So it's uh it's the same thing there, and it re- it's really true. And you know, and the other thing about it is giving yourself that time of space for anything that may go wrong or a traffic jam. And in your case, if you're going somewhere or an accident. Something like Flat that. Tire. Yeah, exactly. And you never know what curveballs are going to be in your day. I always find it interesting that, you know, some people are food trucks. They come and they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm always so busy and I can never catch up on my time. Well, one, they never plan on being early. So everything's like literally back to back to back to back to back mm-hmm. versus having that gap space like 15 minutes in between so you can actually be early or if something goes wrong, you have that space. But it's that whole idea. You know, and I, I, I think it's just, why not? Why not set yourself up to succeed by being early and calming down your nerves and, and having everything go normally? I mean, no one succeeds in last-minute stressful situations. So yeah. Yeah, When we did pop up the last, in 2019, you know, when that used to be a thing in our society, we did, we did pop-ups, and um, people would send us our loading information, and they would be like, well, you know, we'll start the event at five, and, and load-in is at three. I said, uh, we really need load-in to be for us, like, at noon. Because yeah. uh, Justin has to get the fires going on this unit. Um, you know, we have a Santa Maria grilling uh, station that, how long is that? A six-foot six foot Santa Maria grill, yeah. and also the offset um, stick burner. So, like, both of those require, you know, an hour and a half, two hours to warm up. 
you get the coals just right for cooking. Yeah. And in this area, which I'm sure in Colorado, you guys are the thing, we're high fire risk in the summer. So you can't just be driving down the road with hot fire in your grill. Yeah, so that wouldn't work. You got to do it on site. And um, they don't, you know, like, hey, we need to be there earlier. And everybody's accommodating. And, and we're kind of space hogged. You know, we need 16 foot for the trailer and more space for the van and so, yeah, just two hours isn't even enough for us. <laughs> yeah. Well, and um, I just got this now because before I looked at your email address and I'm like, why is it Santa Maria Wanachi? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, again, I might be saying the name of the place wrong. I probably screwed that up because I always mess the names of places up. But it's, um, but so now I understand it's the Santa Maria is the grill. Yeah. yeah. And so <laughs> why that unique. one? It's why that one? To this area. Why that email? No, why that grill? I mean, oh, tell us about so, why that one. So, um, I, I I didn't really circle back around to that. Whenever um, we kind of come up with this whole food truck thing, trailer, um, we wanted to serve. Like I said, this is a high concentration of fruit packing facilities. We wanted to serve those type of individuals. We wanted to roll up to the fruit, fruit packing sheds and uh, serve them hot lunch instead of a taco truck, have them fresh barbecue. And when I saw these Santa Maria grills, I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, what a better way. I was like, you know, barbecue will, will never go out of style, but what about something hot and fast like, you know, tri-tip, chicken, all the burgers, steaks, whatever you can do hot and fast off of a Santa Maria grill. I was like, that's pretty unique to this area and something that's kind of untapped. So that's kind of where that came from. And when I saw the place that was making these, these grills, I was like, that's what I can do. I was like, I can get one with a Santa Maria grill and a cabinet smoker on, you know, one trailer. And then also, like I said, it had like two gas burners, sinks, and everything to accommodate your health um, code here in the state of Washington. So, so go ahead. Anyway, how did you choose a trailer? I mean, you had never done it before, right? I mean, you came up with this idea. Um, so, I mean, tell me about that because a lot of people get into the food truck or mobile food units, and they really don't have a clue what they're doing. And I hear these horror stories about overspending money and not building the right trailer and not functioning properly. So, I mean, how did you guys go about finding your trailer and making sure it's built to your needs? I had a coworker here that um, actually had a guy that was his neighbor that worked for the health department. And I kind of went over it briefly with him. I didn't go into deep detail. And then I kind of did some footwork on my own with the um, research of the health department and uh, made sure we had what we needed to pass. And that's kind of how we went with it. And, it, and did you build it yourself or have someone build no, it? No, no, we, we had it built. Okay. We had it built in the Bay Area, California. We've done some improvements to it, Justin. It, every, just like everything, when you get it, you're like, oh. And, you know, we've had a, a, a local fellow here do some things to it. But just for code-wise, you know, we were fine. It has, you know, your sinks and your hand-washing sinks. And it has a water reservoir. It has a, 
you know, um, a heater that keeps the water hot through propane, just like, uh, you know, you would on, I guess, RVs. So, um, you know, we've learned along the way, but um, I guess, ha- yeah, like it, you just did a little research to see what we needed and we went from there. I mean, it's just such a cool thing. So what are your favorite things to cook um, in these grills and in the cabinet? I mean, I'm really interested what your menus look like. Give me some examples of some caterings you've done. I mean, let's really dive into sort of the things that you guys are doing. And also, um, as you talk about it, where can people find you online? Um, How can they get your services? And uh, where can they find you on social media? Um, Our brisket... um is like one of our top sellers. Um, I think people just haven't had that around here, like true good Texas style brisket. Um, our beef ribs, they're a huge hit when they're in, in town. I mean, in stock. Um, pulled pork is, pulled pork is always a, such a, such a hit. You know, Justin's meat cook. So here, I mean, he does the We'll get up at two or three in the morning, and they'll they're like a twelve hour cook, just low, and he check, babysets them basically every hour, checking the temperature, you know, knows what him to to do certain things at. And I think the pulled pork brisket, and we do our own marinade on our chicken too, and that's been real popular. Our, our chicken, our tri tip, all those are marinated, you know, for a couple of days, and um, we're doing baby backs this week. That's a favorite, a fan favorite. Um, is the way he does his baby back ribs. And most people will do spares, which are fun. We've tried to do spares. We just prefer the baby back because the, the meat's just so tender. And um, it just has, it gets that flavor of the, of the wood and the smoke. And, you know, being from the valley, which is great, um, we have access to cherry woods and apple woods and things that make the flavor of the meat stand out too. Um, so favorite things to cook. I don't know what are some of your favorite pies. He loves to do brisket. He loves to trim it and get it just right. And, um, you know, for the sides, I guess, uh, for me, that's kind of fallen into somewhat of my lap. <laughs> but, um, Valerie does all the sides. Well, I just introduced a Louisiana Dirty Rice here this past winter at a festival that sold out and people loved it. And, uh, what we did different about that was, Louisiana Dirty Rice is the staple in the South as a side dish at holidays, like instead of dressing or stuffing. Um, but they typically use like a ground sausage and um, like livers, you know, like your chicken liver type stuff that you would use in a dressing. But instead of that, we use our brisket. Um, so if we have brisket, we'll top some of that up and put it in the dirty rice instead of, you know, with the sausage. So that went over real well. Um, so I guess you know, favorites is just everything, but uh, what our fan favorites are are probably our brisket and pulled pork ribs. Um, the potato salad is more southern recipe. It's made predominantly mustard um, mayo, and then it's got your dill pickle instead of the sweet relish. We put egg in there. Um, and then our, let's see, what's in there? Oh, our coleslaw, I think, is pretty signature to us, too. I'm going to let Justin talk about that because he pretty much came up with that. We, we use a preserved lemon dressing. We, um, I, a couple years ago, I got into um, saltwater ferments, and it started with um, like a New York 
style deli pickle? Have you been to like, like, um, what is it? Uh, cats. Yeah. In New York on, uh, where they have those yeah. amazing pickles. Yeah, um, absolutely. Anyway, uh, that's that briny salty pickle. Um, I, uh, I, I got into those pretty hard and I realized that you could make just a, a saltwater cucumber pickle from saltwater ferment in the, uh, lacto, uh, bacillic acid. Um, anyway, uh, there's several recipes that these guys out of Seattle come up with, with this, uh, fermenter. And one of them was a fermented or salt preserved lemon. And, uh, so I started making these salt preserved lemons and, uh, that's what these uh, preserved lemons were, or uh, the coleslaw dressing. Yeah, we um, preserve our lemons. It took about six weeks to do that. Um, and once we keep them on stock, and then we chop them up and put them in our coleslaw dressing, which um, I think gives our dressing a unique flavor. Um, also, we do cilantro, some fresh jalapeno. Uh, so it does spice it up and kind of jazz it up versus basic coleslaw. No, I like that a lot. So where can they got, where can they find you guys online and, and on social media? Just on, um, we just have a website. It's just birchmountainbarbecue.com. And then also, um, our Instagram is birch, B-U-R-C-H, um, underscore, Mountain spelled out underscore BBQ underscore LLC. Yeah. You can Google us on Google Business too, Justin, and we're we're Google Business um, members, and they can go to our website from Google Business. Uh, We are pretty active on Instagram, though. That would be where you see most of our action at. So let's dive into another topic because this is an important topic, I think, on the podcast. And I myself work with my significant other and fiance, Deborah, and, and have for the last almost five years or six years. And, um, and I find success in it. And obviously, you guys are, are what I'll call life partners as well. Um, at least I think so. Maybe I got that wrong. But no, how is wrong. how is that how does that dynamic play in a, into your lives? I mean, your business partners and your your life partners. How does that sort of you know? How do you see a day to day thing, and what does that mean for your relationship? Because I think it is so important to have the support like you guys have for one another and be in a relationship. I think it adds to such a higher level of success and dedication to a business when there's two of you working towards it. Um, it's more like one plus one equals three versus one plus one equals two, because both of you um, are obviously going in the same direction with your life and with your business. So tell me about that. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's gotten us made us stronger and closer. Um, Maybe some days we can't tolerate each other, but yeah, um, <laughs> definitely. Uh, I, 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 it's we we communicate more um, often and more frequently. Um, I'll probably need more timeouts than Justin does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. We, we, no, we've definitely gotten closer. Justin's right, but it's hard, right? You know, it's being full honesty. It's hard to be. 
uh, life partners and business partners. Um, it's a hard job, and I commend anybody that does it and and the next day wants to do it again. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't know. I'll let you finish. A lot, it's a lot of late nights and early mornings and, you know. Yeah. Uh, just just fatigue. Like today, I'm, I was just, I'm pretty tired. And I, I told Justin, I said, you know, we should just take next week off and um, just work in the yard. You know, uh, Justin kind of hinted at this, but I'm a full-time registered nurse. And Justin is a surgical tech by trade. And he has backed off uh, to do um, part-time work when, when this started getting really busy. We were booked every weekend for 2020 when we started this year so he backed off and went what we call pool where he only worked one to two days a week and then now that all of the elective surgeries are being canceled he's not working in that area at all right now but I am because you know I'm a nurse and I work hospice and in long-term care so I'm out there every day just you know doing what I can and this so sure fatigue comes in and I'm not trying to be a martyr of any sort at all but for our relationship it does make us stronger and I have to just stop myself sometimes and say I'll come and take a time out and then I'll be okay <laughs> you know <laughs> so I'm not saying it's easy at all but it does make us stronger as far as life partners go for sure yeah it's um, one of those things where I think I'm I'm probably the one that needs the time out in, in our dynamic I'm the very I'm very passionate I'm very driven and I'm very I move very quickly where Deborah sort of is like what I'll say, the one who keeps everything organized for the most part. I'm, I'm very organized. It's just that I move very quickly and I lose yeah. people and I'm very passionate and, you know, I'm very visionary and, but it's hard for her to keep up. And so, I mean, it really, if you find a person that compliments you, um, in your strengths and weaknesses, it's really interesting how much you got you can succeed and it's one of the things I see with you guys. I I can I can see that, you know, the the passion and the vision and the cooking and the food and then the passion and the vision in running the business as your separate personalities and that's a really cool thing to me because I think it's so important. I mean, to have a partner like that. I think that yes, a person could do it on their own, but it's hard to run a business and be creative at the same time and, and do the creative front and cook the food and try to manage everything. It, it, you're juggling a lot. And I'm not saying you can't do both, but what I am saying is that it's hard to continue to grow a business creatively if you don't have the support from the business management side um, and vice versa. So I think that's pretty cool how you guys are naturally come to that, um, at least from my impression. No, you're right. Justin makes me move fast. Um, I need the time out, but mainly it's because I feel overwhelmed because he's like, we got to do this, we got to do this, we got to do this. Just like the other day, we were contacted by a chamber member to join this competition that's going on up here right now for um, for businesses. And you can win prize money in the fall with this competition. And he kept, you know, he's joined, he joined. I'm like, I've got so much going on right now, just trying to keep our us going during this, you know, I don't know, this isolation. I said, I don't have time for that. He said, but it's free money. So I said, you know, did you read the rules? Because I'm the I'm the person that goes through and dissects all these rules and regulations. And Justin's just like, I want to cook the meat. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. <laughs> 
so I'm like, we have to make a business plan, then we have to make a video, then we have to do a pitch. I said, this is not going to be easy. He's like, but if we don't do it, we won't know. So I'm making a business plan on Saturday. We went into this with no business plan, which you probably already knew since we just showed up to cater a wedding with nothing. So we never had a business plan. So I'm there Saturday making a business plan, went on SBA, you know, saw a sample one, did my best, submitted it. Um, You know, now we're we're registered for this boot camp that starts Saturday um, for, you know, business strategy and all of these things that are free. I mean, that's a class that's usually about $400 that we, by doing this, can have access for free to help us learn how to grow. If he hadn't have pushed me and, and just like, we got to do it, we got to do it, we got to do it, I wouldn't have done it because I've got way too much to do. But I guess to compliment each other, that's what he does. He gets me moving where I'm happy to be complacent sometimes he's pushing me and someday I don't like it. But then on the end, if we are $10,000 richer in the fall, I'm going to be like, yeah, thanks for making me do that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I understand that completely. And I want to talk about the business plan thing a little bit, actually, because I know a lot of people write them and I agree they are important um, in some ways to flush out your ideas. But if they become the thing by which your business lives, I think it's very detrimental to your business. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's an educational thing, and we've t- we've attached to business plans as a way of planning for businesses, and it's become this educational thing that's taught in schools, and people want it to for to give you money, and the banks want it. And really, you want the opposite. You want someone that's going to start a business that has a great idea that doesn't really have a plan other than that they're going to make small steps forward and pivot along the way like you guys did. Something fell in your lap. If your plan was, oh, we're not going to do weddings, that's not our plan, and you were etched in stone, you would have never done the wedding. And so, you know, and I I will say this, I've had two unsuccessful businesses mainly because of the business partners I had in the business. Um, we'll just start there. But I had two businesses that I that we ended up folding up and both of the businesses the only time I've ever written a full business plan with someone. And my the business partners I had in each of those business tied so hard onto the business plan and tied so hard onto the concepts and the rules and the boundaries of these businesses plans that we never pivoted. So like by three, four years, five years down the road where we had, you know, at the beginning, I would call it three, four years of really great success, but like all of a sudden five, six, seven, we're going down the tubes because we didn't pivot. We were still stuck to the same business plan and my business partners would not adjust, you know, and, and it being 50, 50 would, you know, you can't go anywhere. And yeah. so that was one of the, one of the things I want to say really is business plans are important. I think you need to write them. Um, but I wouldn't a bit, you've got to be careful in that it doesn't become the Bible by which you run your business. And I so, thought- I totally agree with that. And and um, and and then honestly, my most successful businesses that we've had, we've just jumped in. We didn't. Mm-hmm. We thought about it. Is this what we want to do? We flushed. I mean, the podcast is like that. Have I always wanted to do a podcast? Yeah, but one day I said, Deborah, I need to do a podcast. I'm doing it. And she's like, Okay, well, do we need to do research? Do we need to plan? What's the structure? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> 
I just need I just know I need to build the podcast studio in the house. So I'm like well, I just need to go build the podcast studio and then I need right. to record the first episode and I need to start getting people to interview and I'll figure it out later. And like the success of just doing it because I learned as I would go. You know, now we release episodes in 24 hours for the first year we would try to release three a week and stagnate them, you know, and record them and then release them later. Well, as we went international, our fans went, no, we want them now. Now that we do them in 24 hours, I still have some fans that say you release too many in a week. Can you go back to releasing three a week when we have high volume weeks? Uh-huh. You can't please listeners? everyone. How many listeners did you have at first? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I mean, no, it started I off, I think, I actually, and I will tell you this story. Um, the first, we released six episodes in two weeks. In the first two weeks, we had 47 downloads total between mm-hmm. six episodes. I mean, That's it was cool. hard, right? Yeah. It was hard. And now I release an episode and we get 47 downloads in the first five minutes. It goes viral you know so oh, per yeah. episode you know so it's like i love all your podcasts and i first like i said i first came up upon it from the pickle the barbecue pickle company just because i was looking at different podcasts like for business from you know me learning i'm i learn every day something new about this you know business management and and that's how i found it and then i started looking at all the other ones you've done and i just love them but um, yeah, back to your business plan thing. I totally get it, Justin. When I was making it, I'm like, this is insane. Yeah. I'm like, this doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. But I mean, in the, in the brainstorm of the business plan, we actually did come up with something we hadn't really thought about. But for us to say this is all we're going to do and focus on would be insane, especially right now with everything that's going on. I mean, the first weekend after we found out what was going on with restaurants, I looked at him. I said, we've got to keep going. We can't, we have to be relevant. What can we do? And that's how, I don't know if you've seen on our Instagram, we're into week three now of, of meal plans and meal prep and delivery and pickup and yep. for families who are being socially isolated because, you know, all of our catering is canceled. But, you know, we just, that's what we do. You, you get set with how to keep going and you turn, like you said, you pivot. You figure out what can we do now? What can we do now? You know, pop-ups and festivals. Like Justin said, when we first started, the people wanted just to roll up to orchards and pack and plants and feed the, the, the people. I just want to feed the people some good food. And then now we're wedding caterers. We're uh, pop-ups. We do festivals. Um, you know, we do winery events. Uh, we never even thought about any of that until we just turned the corner and said, okay, we'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. And I would say that's the number one thing um, that I tell people. They're always like, well, when I mentor, don't you want me to write a business plan or don't you want me to update my business plan? No, absolutely not. Because you're going to be so focused on what you wrote. And the problem is when we write business plans, we innately as human beings attach our ego to it. And when we attach our ego to it, we're not willing to compromise we're not willing to pivot and we start missing all these opportunities that come our way because we're so mm-hmm. ego driven to that business plan. And I really understand. Yeah. And so, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent of the time. I just, in my experience, I, I think it's good to differentiate or to do contests or, or entrepreneurial things to, to do the practice. 
um, knowing that that's not something you're going to stick to. Um, for me, I move so quickly and I pivot so quickly and I'm always prepared for something that's going on in the world right now. Like we're going through, like you guys said, if you're like, Oh, we're only catering. All of our catering events are done. I think we should just stop doing business until this is over. That would be like, I'd be like, Whoa, you have a mobile, you know, kitchen. Mm -hmm. Basically you can still serve food anywhere. And in fact, you're probably one of the safest places to serve food. You keep your place clean. People don't actually make contact with you. You're behind, you know, a window inside a trailer, you know, so there's, the, or you're at an event and you're giving food to people. Your contact is very minimum. You know, it's, mm -hmm. the food is cooked, you know, yeah. so let's, you know, it's, you know, and even the sides, even if they're raw, they're going through lemon and stuff like that. There's all this sanitation things that are going on. That I'm like, well, you need to figure out a way to keep going or, or keep building your business and your community or for your people. And it's what you guys are already doing. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how this current, the coronavirus and the quarantines and the isolations and the things are impacting you guys and sort of how you're handling it. Let's really dive into the weeds on this one. Probably the wrong term. I always mess up. No, sayings, but go ahead. Fine. That's fine. No, I get it. So, you know, the, the thing that I've heard somebody say on your podcast before, and it sticks with me, is because Justin and I are primarily healthcare workers, we understand cross-contamination. We understand how safe you have to be around food when you're serving it to the public. I mean, sure, everybody, we have our food handler's card, you take the test and all that stuff, but the healthcare part of it is, you know, embedded in us. So we understand, hey, when you touch this, you now have to change your gloves, wash your hands. You know, you can't just wear the same pair of gloves to do everything. So that's a perk. And when this started happening, I'm like, well, we already have that down, you know, but the impact on our business for us in a community was, sure, we can just sit here and wait, but our, the side of our van says mobile catering and food delivery, and that's one of the things we first started doing um, in, you know, we have our social media following already. So let's take advantage of that, but also let's give the community a chance to have good food. Now that all of the restaurants are closed, you know, how can we do that? Um, so I just sat down with a notebook that weekend and we chatted about it and we said, okay, we're going to deliver. We're going to out pick up, you know, what's going to be the rules. How are we going to do this with all of the, government stuff and you know we're on week three now and i guess you know what we've found out is um some people want delivery because they've got kids at home they don't want to pack up and go pick up their food and some people want pickup um so this being week three we've also kind of partnered with the the commercial kitchen that we use this uh, the gentleman has a brewery uh in his restaurant that now cannot function but he can sell growlers um, for two hours every evening. So we're like, hey, we three, we're, we're figuring this out. Why don't we just come put our catering van in your parking lot on Friday? You have your growlers for sale. We'll, we do pre-orders only because that's, to us, the easiest way to manage it. Plus, yeah. it's almost like a private catering order for us. It makes sense. So we have our pre made meals ready to hand out to the customers that we say, hey, between this time and this time on Friday, this is where we'll be. You've, we've got your meal scheduled that day. Come pick it up. Maybe you want to go in and buy a growler. You know, so I guess I'm getting long-winded, but we're trying to support our community 
but still stay alive. And and we're not overcharging. We we undercharge. And then Justin tells me all the time, you know, so and so, you know, they have this much for the rack of ribs. And I'm like, yeah, but this is not the time at all to go up on prices where the you know economy is suffering. Let's just do what we can do to, to stay relevant and um, give the people an option for a dinner and support our other other community businesses that are struggling. Um, you know, we went one weekend about in 45 minutes from here to do some deliveries and we parked in a winery parking lot that we've done at pop-up at before. And we purchased wine when we were there because we want to support other people too. Um, we have a little restaurant down here at our pop-up farmer's market area. It's actually, you know, they have, um, stores there, but that's where our farmer's market is every summer, and they have a little bistro that's doing the meals, too. So we make sure we order meals from them two or three times a week and go by and pick those up. So I guess say how it's impacted us is we're just trying to figure out how to do it. You know, delivery, pick up, change the menu up so it stays interesting, um, have a small, large option, so smaller families, bigger families. Throw in something fun if they want. Like this week, it's the baby back ribs. And um, I don't know, last week it was corn muffins, jalapeno corn muffins. Just to make it fun and interesting. Um, social shaming's been part of it. I'm not going to lie. That's been on my mind today. And you're not going to get away from it. But also, we had a discussion today about taking the higher road. There's no point in, in, in shooting back at those people because they're not relevant to us and it's just going to make it harder and worse in the time that's already hard enough. Yeah. And I agree with that. And, and I think everyone has a different preference and everyone has a different perspective right now. We all see through different lenses. We all wear a different pair of glasses that are built over our lifetime. Right. And some of it's nurture, some mm-hmm. of it's nature, so on and so forth. But what it what's happening here, and I see it from different food and beverage entrepreneurs, and I, I see it from other entrepreneurs as well. But I'm, this is a food and beverage entrepreneur podcast, so I really want to stick with that within that topic. Is some people are deciding to close their businesses, and I understand why, and I understand that it may cost you more money to stay open and pay the employees and try to do catering, and you're worried that you might contaminate someone and how bad you would feel if someone got sick. And I get that perspective, honestly. Um, So I understand where people come from because that's their preference. It is not my preference. It is not Mm -hmm. the way that I see the world. It is not the way that I see things. Obviously, I don't want to spread it. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day... You know, I our main one of our main businesses. It used to be sixty percent of our business at Food Service Partners. Now it's like ninety because the patient counts are going up and the meals are going up and the retail's going down for us. Grocery stores and stuff like that are limiting their orders and stuff like that. So our retail co-packing side is going down. But I, the employees still have to go to work and they still want to go to work and they are being heroes right now. And you're being a hero by still going to work as a nurse. And so food chain still has to go on. Like we've got to make sure our food chain is intact when we get done with this, that farmers are seeing enough demand that it's still pulling through enough food that they're planning for the next season or the season mm-hmm. after that. And we, it, we mess up the food chain. We mess up 
the flow of money really because more money moves through food than anything else. I mean, you know, your fourteen ninety nine a month on Netflix is not anything compared to the four to five hundred dollars you probably spend on average a month on groceries in your home. Mm-hmm. You know, so let's talk about the cycle of money and what the most valuable thing that produces the most amount of circulation of money in the economy it is food. And so we've got to still support it. That's one. And two is, is what you said is I see it. I see it. I like to win. I'm very competitive. I, I like to, to dominate things and I like to find my advantages, you know, and you know, sure. so here's the thing is that, Yes, there are people who are closing their businesses. Yes, there are people that decided to pack up and just take it easy. Well, guess what? There's people who are not doing that. I'm not the only one. So staying relevant like you guys are, are meaning you're starting to get leg up over everyone else. You're taking away customers from someone else. That's just the way it is. And I know it's Mm -hmm. a hardship and people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're benefiting and talking about profiting off of a hard time. Well, let's talk about reality here. If you look at Kaiser Permanente, which is one of the biggest insurance companies and hospital groups in the world, they benefited off of World War II by building ships. They were a shipbuilding company. And then they did so well building ships, they created what we know as modern-day health insurance So, um, to give their employees extra support. And they did it through World War II, which was a war, so they profited off of war. That's what people do. They figure out ways to survive and then turn around and benefit people. And that's what food is. I mean, we create jobs. We create revenue. We create stability in communities. We create moments and memories in people's lives because they come together through food and you're still providing that to people. And I think that's awesome. Right. You know, and we've worked so hard. We've only been in business for a year and a half. That's, that's young. That's a new company. You know, five years is it takes to really build yourself for us to just put all that hard work and say, Oh, well, you know, we tried. That's not who Justin and I are as people. And it's like, however we can stay in this business, we're going to do it because we put too much into it just to say we're done. An advantage we have is it's just he and I. We don't have employees. We don't have a brick and mortar. So we don't have a lot of overhead. So being able to stay alive right now is a, it's probably easier that, for us than other people. But... Going back to it's just two of us, <laughs> you know, so rather than just having catering uh, jobs and pop-ups that I'm communicating with five or six people every month about, you know, their schedule and how they want things to go and answering some emails and quotes, I'm now having to communicate with about 25 different people every week just on these individual small orders, and that's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff you know, scheduling, making sure I have all their orders down and the times they want to pick it up and the times they want it delivered and making sure Justin has enough meat and all that. Just, you know, the larger scale is just so much easier than the smaller scale. Yeah, and one of the things that I love about this and what you're doing, and I really want to talk about this because you're getting to actually touch I'll say face-to-face loosely because I know the coronavirus and this and, and passing it along and all that. But what I mean is is that you're actually physically getting to build relationships with more individuals versus just the person you're catering for. Sure. 
and or the people that are at the catering event, you're actually making communicating with them. And like the thank yous and the gratitude that you're showing to them just for the business. Um, and then mm-hmm. them coming to you and building that relationship. You guys are building these relationships and you don't get to build that during boom times. You get to, you're so busy or you're catering and things like that. You're not building these individual relationships and taking individual orders as much as you are now, or, or it's not, should I say not as it's probably more you before than you are now, but the emphasis on the relationship or this being a mainstream of business for you, the enthusiasm and the gratitude is is different um, uh, slightly. And because of that, um, this is what's going to benefit your business in the long run is once this is all over, you've built this relationship with people. Now's the time to do it. You know, it's like the wedding scenario. Businesses and leaders and and great businesses are not built during the good times. They may profit during the good times, but they're actually built during the hard times where we learn the most lessons, where we figure out the best ways to pivot in our business. Well, you know what it is. The whole reason my business is in retail co-packing is because of 2007, 2008. We were in hospitals and long-term care and People started losing jobs and insurance and panicking over money and the elective procedures went down, hospital counts went down, long-term care homes went down because people were staying with their family members instead of going into long-term care homes, so on and so forth. So we're like, we've got to pivot in our business. We've Mm -hmm. got to go into co-packing or we've got to figure out a different way of looking at our business model. And that's what happens. And that's what's happening now. And you guys are getting a chance to build those relationships because I guarantee this also. You make one customer happy, it's quick to turn into two customers because they'll tell someone. And then, right. and then that then you build a relationship with both of them and that turns into four customers. You know, yeah. so it's it's a long road and it takes a lot of work to build those relationships. And like you said, five years is a long time. There's a lot of effort. Yeah. But I really like Valerie and Justin what you guys are doing right now for your business. And I wish a lot more people would do it, but you know, yeah, well, thank you for that. It's not easy, and I, I don't know, like, like anything else we've done, it was by accident. It was like, well, let's brainstorm, let's come up with a plan. And, and Justin is more the people person than me, and you're right, he he does well at interacting with people and, and then getting more people after that. We've had repeat customers every week, and then they'll tell their neighbor. and They'll tell their neighbor, and he, he can attest to that. I've kind of taken over and let him talk about it, but he he does. I mean, we have policemen that he's going to deliver food to this week, and um, his daughter has a wedding catered with us. And, you know, it's just like, I don't know, you're right. Well, you just get two or three new customers out of each individual customer. So, Justin, I mean, how do you see this, your relationships now versus before? I mean, are they the same or the people is the relationships different based on what we're going through with the coronavirus? I mean, you're sort of the guy behind the the barbecue for lack of a better term. So how do you see it? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's just really weird. The whole thing is really weird. And I, I I don't know. Um, I guess the community, I think that we're dealing with right now based off of, you know, the catering versus these dinners. I think what Justin finds is they're just thankful. You know, they are, they are so thankful they are that thankful. we are offering this. 
uh, you know, two as an option. Uh, thankful that we're continuing on. We've definitely seen a lot more gratitude mm-hmm. for toward toward us for this. I always thank them for their support, but in turn, they thank us for for yeah. continuing to keep going. Yeah. Uh, so I think the general idea the, is uh, they wanted to. The repeat the repeat customer says a lot. Yeah. They do. They want us to keep going, and you know, I think the people that aren't are closing, I, I, like you, Justin, I respect that because you just can't. I mean, there is a line you draw where where I can't do it. But then for us, there we didn't. Have, there was no quitting for us. And then thank goodness how the interactions we're having have been very positive. Um, you know, I'm again, I won't go all the way into social shaming, but. There is that, and it's it's a hard pill to swallow when you people can say things on on social media that they don't one hundred percent know anything about, but it puts a bad taste in my mouth because they don't have a full story and what impact they would have on people that may use us in the future. I don't right. know. Right. I just hope that the impact that we're having on the people that we are. Get, getting food to is will overcome the impact that this person would have on saying we're taking advantage of people during a time like this, which I don't feel that way at all. Yeah, and I, that's a lack of understanding, in my opinion, and and we get we get some of that also. How can you still be putting people to work and you're taking advantage and making money off of people in the hospitals? Well, and I'm like, well, they have to eat. Like we're. Mm-hmm. And, and the same thing with you. People have to eat. They have to get food from somewhere. And here's the real thing here. Um, we don't know how this thing spread, and we're quarantining and we're isolating. And I understand the whole fear thing and not to do that from a health standpoint. You know, you don't want to spread it, and you want to contain it, and you don't want to overwhelm the hospitals. I mean, because that's kind of where we are right now. In my opinion, we don't have a cure. We don't know... How why it's spreading? Some people get it, some people don't. Particularly in the in the same areas, we don't know why some people die from it. Some people live and maybe com- compromised immune systems or lungs or whatever. But we're not sure. You know, everything's an uneasy thing. So basically, what we are doing as a society right now, and I don't know why someone doesn't just come out and say this because it's what I would do if I were the leader. So I'm assuming that's what they would do. So I'm making an assumption. But we're just slowing it down enough so we don't overwhelm the hospitals and the healthcare system. That's what we're doing right now because we don't have a cure. We don't know if everyone's going to get it, but we assume that everyone will because that's how easy it's spreading. So we're trying to not overwhelm our infrastructure, and we're trying to buy ourselves enough time to build an infrastructure. And that Mm. infrastructure is very simple, guys. Like, I mean... Anyone listening to the podcast, I'm probably going to get a bunch of hate texts after this. <laughs> but it's very simple. It's food, it's medicine, and it's it's keeping our emergency workers working, okay? that In, in our computer systems and our electricity and our water and, and gasoline and so forth, there has to be an infrastructure. And we got to keep moving forward with construction because we need to be able to keep building things so there is a future. And we need to keep building things because we need to prepare in case this thing doesn't go away, that we have construction workers gaining experience and building things and finishing projects so they can build more hospitals. It's that simple. 
like we're going to need more hospitals to handle this. We're going to need more ventilators. We're going to need more medicine. We're going to need more hospital type food and health food. And we're going to need to keep building hope. And oh. the rest of the population, you guys still need to eat. And eating in your home is not going to build any hope or, or help things in the long term. There still needs to be companies like Birch Mountain Barbecue that are offering you guys food. Like mm -hmm. we can't be stuck where we're not turning the bigger economy here. Because if we want food in hospitals and we want food in grocery stores, we also have to have food in restaurants and catering and these places. We have to turn the full system of infrastructure. It's important. Right. You know, yeah, I agree. and so, yeah. you know, he, you know, here's the thing is no one's going to say they don't know the answer, but we don't know the answer. So what we're mm -hmm. doing is slowing it down enough so we can build an infrastructure to handle it as yeah. it spreads. And so, you know, yeah, I forgot, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, you kind of have to look at this food thing as comfort is a good meal and we all know that people in catering the big events you have to eat food you know centers around food and good food and quality food and not just something you can quickly throw together or a packaged item where if once a week you can purchase a, a nice barbecue meal for your family and you sit down and you enjoy it and it's something out of the norm and you relish in those small things if we were a part of that to help that happen you know, we're happy to do it, and we, we love that that's what we're offering is you, you're in small groups now, and you're in your home, and if you can just bring a barbecue meal in to say, you know, this is my family, we're healthy, let's enjoy this, this, this prepared meal that's different than what we eat every single day, that's the only joy some people are getting right now. Yeah, so I think that that's the thing is we got to continue to hope, uh, build hope. And it is the kind of meals that need to be out there. And I, I'm going to say this, but I guarantee you there's less likelihood that someone's going to get sick coming to you guys to pick up food than mm -hmm. a grocery store. Grocery right. store, hundreds of people are still going in and out of grocery stores a day. Like, mm -hmm. let, you know, a person that gets their food delivered by a truck, makes the food and then hands you the food. You guys are dealing with customers, but there's a lot of cooking it's there's a lot of cleaning the surfaces there's a lot of taking care of those things and there's a lot of distancing when it comes to the meal so you know and in fact i would say that your mobile kitchens your your restaurants if they're they're well run and your your kitchens commercial kitchens like we've been sanitizing things for decades we wear That's gloves, true. we wear hairnets, we clean the surfaces, we wash our hands, we don't even shake hands, we bump elbows way before this thing even happened. And, mm -hmm. you know, we, we sneeze into an arm versus a glove or a hand, and we never touch our face because we always have gloves on. Like, this mm -hmm. is where people don't understand that we, in the food business, we've been prepared for this for decades because we were already there. You know, right. we've been following health codes and stuff like that. It's just like you saying, I'm not going to start a fire and then drive down the road and start a fire. Like you're mm -hmm. taking those actions in the same way for health already with food, yeah. especially if it's cooked. And that doesn't happen in a grocery store. Why? It's not that they're not sanitary. It's just that 
a million people walk through and may touch the same cucumber and be like, oh, mm-hmm. I want this cucumber. No, I want that cucumber. Put that one back. Put this one back. Oh, I'm going to touch this one too. Maybe I'm going to listen to a few melons. And so you have a lot more contact surfaces that are happening in food in a grocery store than buying from a caterer or from a restaurant or someone like you guys. So. Right. No, you're right. We've just been trained in that. And I, I will go into my um, my assisted livings and my other homes right now, and I'm very aware of things like the pen that people are picking up to fill out. <laughs> I fill out a questionnaire everywhere I go about, you know, fever, cough, exposure, um, and there's one pen. And I told the lady, I said, you know, I said, I understand all these precautions, but everybody who comes in here, of course, you know, now family members can't visit, but they're touching this same pen. I said, are you wiping this pen down? Well, no. I said, okay. I said, put you a dirty pen cup and a clean cup. And then when your dirty pen cup is full, wipe them down and put them in the clean cup. But let them air dry first. And she looked at me and she said, I never thought about that. But it's things that we think about because Justin and I, like you said, food care workers think about that. And then healthcare too, it's thrown in there. We also think about that. So back to what you said, they're unlikely to get anything from us because we know in our mind, we already have been envisioning all these little things in the air before there ever was a thing in the air. And I had someone the other day start questioning them. They were, I was in the grocery store and I'm in line and someone's starting to talk to me about all this stuff and restaurants and whatever. And I said, uh, you know, I am in the food business and I work with a lot of food business. I provide a lot of packaged food to restaurants and stuff like that. And, uh, and so, and he said, well, I can't believe it. And it's a spread. And I'm like, do you, I don't think you understand what's going on here. I think your question should be, and he didn't think I would come back because I think normal people are just looking for a conversation, someone to agree with them. And I'm like, well, I don't think you understand. I think you should be coming to all those restaurant workers and all the people that own restaurant businesses or food-related businesses and asking them how you can clean your home better and your kitchen better so you don't Mm -hmm. cross-contaminate your home. Because we've been doing this for a long time. And, and, And I encourage you to look at this differently. We're not spreading it. You guys are spreading it in your households and in your jobs mm-hmm. and in your thing. And yes, may I spread it? Of course, I'm not pointing any fingers. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is, is instead of looking at the restaurants as a place where you can learn from or that we have had these standards already for decades, you're saying that we're the ones going to spread it because oh, you know, whatever, and contact and people come into the contact and whatever. A lot of it's probably happening off of surfaces. You know, mm-hmm. the the gas pumps, the doorknobs, the whatever. Mm-hmm. And in food, you clean that stuff on a regular basis anyway. Clean surfaces try to keep from cross-contaminating. I mean, we've been doing it for a long time, and that's why I told them. This is a cross-contamination issue. We're contaminating yeah. other people. And in food, if it's done right, particularly in the United States and by the people that are actually doing it right, we're eliminating cross-contamination anyway. Right. So, well, you know, we... We deal with more, I don't think, the other thing I don't think people realize on food, and I'm going to say it on the podcast, is foodborne illness, bacterias, we're fighting that every day. Right. Every day you're trying to make sure you don't get someone sick and things are the right temperature and you're taking the right precautions, you know, refrigeration Mm -hmm. and temperature control and, you know, Mm -hmm. like 
Justin said getting there early, making sure it's at the right temperature and cooking the meat properly, you know, and it's, it's, it's about its taste, but it's also about cooking it the way it needs to be cooked. So, you know, we don't get anyone sick. And so there's all of those things, um, that we already do, you know, so instead of bashing the food industry or the restaurants or caterers like you guys, you know, here's a concept. How about ask us what we do? Ask us what we do. Because we already have it figured out. So. Yeah, just be aware that, you know, um, you know, I've tried so hard everywhere I go now in my my health profession is be an education piece because um, the elderly are the population that is at risk. And a lot of our homes are just really, I mean, it's it's like a, a, a fortress. But when I see their kitchen staff outside their kitchen, leaving the boxes outside with a pair of gloves on, but opening those boxes with those gloves and reaching inside the box with the same pair of gloves to get the loaves of bread and put them in the cart and bring them inside, I try to stop and say, okay, I'm not nitpicking and I'm not bashing. I just need you guys to know you really need to change those gloves after you've touched the outside of the box that you're worried about and then you touch the contents of the box. You have to really make yourself stop. I mean, I have to do it too sometimes. We all do, but just stop and think about what you're doing. Um, it's not the gloves that are protecting you. It's, it's you've got to realize what you're touching with those gloves. Yeah, and nine times out of ten, interestingly, we touch our faces all the time as human beings. Right, and that's what we're trying not to do. But for some reason, when we wear those latex gloves, we don't touch oh, no. our face. We don't. You don't. But your nose sure is going to itch about 50 times. Yeah, but you're like, I can't touch my face. And yeah, you're like, exactly. it's the craziest thing, you know? So, I mean, think simple things like that. Like, I don't know. I, I'm, you know, try it. Seriously, try it. I, I guarantee anyone out there is listening to the podcast that's not in food, try wearing a latex pair of gloves and see if you touch your face. And then not only that, change your gloves every so often. Practice it if you're going out. I mean, I don't want to live as a society that has to wear latex gloves everywhere, but but if it stops the spread of it, it's 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 better to be out there doing things and just changing a pair of gloves. Because, you know, you can blame everyone else for for spreading it and stuff like that, but it is our, all of our responsibilities to just take precaution. You know, like we normally do in our food business, we take precautions every day to make sure someone doesn't get sick or we don't spread some virus or disease or bacteria or whatever that comes through food. I mean, it's the easiest way and the fastest way to spread anything other than apparently breathing it, um, was the food chain. And now it's, we've seen something different. So, um, yeah, it's definitely not going to be in the food because of the temperatures and the, the prep. It's going to be on the surface of stuff. And, yeah. you know, we're working through it just like anybody and, and we have an advantage and you're completely right about that. Yeah. So Justin and Valerie, as we sort of wrap up the episode, is there anything else you guys want to talk about? Um, and before you do that, I really, maybe, we in a couple of weeks or about a month we get you guys back on the show because I really want to dive into sort of what you're doing now and the at home meals. But I want to give us a little more time or sorry, the pickup meals. Um I guess they're kinda of at home. People are taking them on a different level. 
And I want to dive into that more, but I want to give you guys some time to have some more time under your belt with the current situation and maybe get you guys back on in about three to four weeks and talk about it. But before we end this episode, is there anything you guys would want to talk about? Three to four weeks. I hope we're back in business and we don't have time to talk to you. Oh, I see. I do. I hope that too. I don't know how I'll feel about it from my, my feeling rejected standpoint, but I'll take it. I'm, no, I'm, I'm good. good. No, I'm good. I'm good. I, I hope that too. No. I'm... Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I'd <laughs> no. love to talk to you about how busy we are in our catering in, in, the, in four weeks or so. But yeah, I guess my only thing is I just want people to stay as positive as they can. And you know, if they're if you're in food, you know, just just keep going in whatever way you can. And and you know, it's coming back, and we all have to eat. And you know, Justin and I, we're just going to keep doing this, and hopefully our our catering uh, will pick back up and our calendar that was full will get back full and, you know, we'll keep growing. We, we've got plans, um, not so much on that paper, but in our minds. And, and we want to be a thing uh, different than what we are. It's just going to take time and um, we'll get there. Yeah. And thank you. And Justin, I love your sense of humor, by the way. I, I totally get it. And I get where you were going with that. And and I will gladly take that rejection if that happens. And we're booming in business in four weeks, because that means I'm so busy also that I don't yeah. have time to talk to you guys. So yeah, um, I didn't uh, I didn't realize how big your business was until uh, the other day, um, how, how broad span you were. Yeah, no. Um I appreciate that, and I appreciate what you guys are doing seriously, and I and I really am thankful that you guys are continuing to run your business because I think it is just so important for us to recover our economy, um, and it's so important for the food world, and it's so important for you guys to continue to show that hope to your communities and stuff like that. You know, there's a lot of fear-mongering and stuff going on like that, and obviously there's yeah. things to be afraid of. Um, but we've got a model leadership and we've got a model moving forward because, you know, we can't shut down the world. That's just not going to work. Um, and you know, uh, I think what you guys are doing is a great thing. So thank you guys, seriously. And thank you for coming on the podcast. And thank you for having us. We said hi and congrats on the engagement. And thank you. We'll get through all this. (laughs) <laughs> awesome. And I'll talk to you guys soon and, and thank you guys again. And everyone yeah, in the Yeah. Everyone in everyone in the audience, uh look up Birch Mountain Barbecue on Instagram and Facebook as well as um online. And you know, take a look at their menu. Their menu looks awesome. I love your guys' menu. I think it's so cool. It's it's simple, but it's just so true to barbecue. I also and I didn't get to say this in the podcast. But I'll say it now is I love how you took the barbecue concept to the the Northwest. I, you know, I can't, I've spent a lot of time in Washington and Oregon and there isn't the type of food really available out there. Um, You have your certain little places here and there, maybe in Seattle or Portland, but it's not really prominent. And so um, I think that's really cool. So We'll talk more about that on the next episode. And everyone listening in, please pass on the episode. If you like what we're doing, pass it along. And uh, everyone, stay safe.